0: Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to the first episode of Theme Song. Theme Song is a music podcast through University of Cincinnati's BearCast Media program, where each episode of the show will have a different theme. I'm your host and musical curator, Ella, and I'm here to tell you about some of the great music that exists in the world. As this is the first episode, I thought it would only be right for the theme to be album opening tracks. Personally, I love to listen to music in the context of a full album rather than shuffled on a playlist, and the first song on an album is absolutely essential for getting you excited and bringing you into the world of the artist. Today, I've got six songs for you that do that really, really well. Unfortunately, because of copyright restrictions, I can't play these great songs for you during the podcast, but if what I'm talking about sounds like it's up your alley, Go ahead and pause the show and go listen to it before you come back. I'm super excited to share these, so without further ado, let's get into some great first tracks. To start things off, I'm gonna tell you a little story. Once upon a time, in the early 1990s, the alternative music scene was blossoming in Chicago, Illinois. Bands like The Smashing Pumpkins, The Jesus Lizard, and Steve Albini's Big Black dominated the scene, and a ton of good music was coming out of the area. However, despite the plethora of talent, the acts that came out of this artistic hotbed were very male-dominated. The artist behind the first pick of today's episode took her frustration with the patriarchal tendencies of the scene and channeled it into some of the best songs of the 1990s. Liz Fair started her musical career unsuccessfully in LA before moving back to her parents' house in Chicago. Playing by herself in her bedroom, she started taping her songs to distribute to her friends. This series of recordings, which she called the girly sound tapes, began circulating around the community, and her stellar songwriting caught the attention of indie label Matador Records, who agreed to put out her debut album. That album, one of my all-time favorites, is Exile in Guyville, possibly the most perfect encapsulation of the angst that a person feels when that person is a woman navigating the world in her early 20s. The name and concept of Exile in Guyville are meant to be a play on the Rolling Stones classic Exile in Main Street. In Liz's eyes, Exile on Main Street represents the pinnacle of guys being dudes' masculine energy, and so she framed her debut album as a song-by-song response. When you listen to the album side-by-side, the connection doesn't always hold up, but the intention is definitely there. The opening track of Exile in Guyville is called Six Feet One. In the song, Liz Fair sings about a male figure who just wants too much. He feels entitled to take up the time and energy of others, but no matter how much they give, it's still not enough. And she is sick of it. Six Feet One is about Liz Fair standing up to new heights of confidence, much taller than she actually stands at five feet two. She refuses to let this person leech off of her any longer, making the decision to burn the bridge with him and start loving her life because it's hers. If this sounds like it'd be appealing to you, go ahead and listen to it now if you want. If not, there's lots of other good songs to be had here. The next song on this list kicks off an album seen on one of the most popular, if not the most popular t-shirt of indie kids all across the world, and if you couldn't guess by that description alone, I'm talking, of course, about Joy Division's Unknown Pleasures. Joy Division formed in the late 1970s during the height of the punk movement. It's in the nature of punk that anybody can pick up an instrument and make exciting music, and that's exactly what childhood friends Bernard Sumner and Peter Hook thought when they went to see a Sex Pistols show in Manchester. They recruited Ian Curtis as the vocalist after he responded to ads the two of them had put up in a Virgin record store, and they got started on making music. Joy Division released several singles with an early punk sensibility, but when they got to recording their first album, They wanted to create something that sounded a little different. They took the punk format and started to experiment with it to create something darker and moodier. By working with producer Martin Hannett, they were definitely able to achieve something really unique. Not all the band members were happy with the way the final album turned out. Guitarist Bernard Sumner called it a disappointment that sounded like Pink Floyd, But, nonetheless, the atmospheric doom sound of the album is part of what makes it such a pillar of the post-punk genre. The opening track on the album is called Disorder, and it works through lead singer Ian Curtis's battle with his physical and mental health. Different lyrics in the song likely point to different struggles that he faced. For example, the second verse talks about flashing lights and crashing cars and Curtis suffered from epileptic seizures. He asks if he will ever feel the pleasures of a normal man, expressing the numbness he felt as he suffered from depression. Ian Curtis tragically committed suicide before Joy Division's second album could be released at only 23 years old. Despite his fears about his music being badly received due to his illness, Ian Curtis and Joy Division were able to create something truly special that would eventually become some of the most important music in the modern era, the intro to Disorder features an instantly recognizable bassline, and Martin Hannett's trademark echoing production effects bring you into their dark post punk world. Go listen to Disorder, the opening track of Joy Division's 1979 classic, Unknown Pleasures. Sometimes, like Joy Division, a band totally hits it out of the park on their first album. Sometimes, that band hangs on for a long time after, but is never able to completely recreate the blend of awesome that made that first album so special. That's exactly what I think of the debut self-titled record by the Violent Femmes. And as much as I love every song on the record, the same can be said of its opening track, Blister in the Sun. The first Violent Femmes record was really not a hit when it came out, and the album didn't even make it onto the Billboard Top 200 chart when it was released, which was a much bigger sign of commercial failure in the early 80s than it is now. However, the album grew on people, and it mysteriously made it to number 171 on the Billboard charts four years after its initial release. That opening song, Blister in the Sun, inched its way into the mainstream and is now frequently considered to be one of the essential tracks of the 80s. The songs that make up the self-titled Violent Femmes debut were almost all written by lead vocalist Gordon Gano, who was barely over 18 at the time that he wrote them. As such, it's really an album about teenage frustration, doing drugs, and getting rejected by girls. Blister in the Sun is no exception. The fun, twangy song is really about walking around, strung out on heroin, enjoying her high but simultaneously dealing with the struggles of drug addiction. The early folk punk sounds and quick drum beats that just ask you to clap along make this song addicting too, and you should go listen to it. Initially, I wanted to focus on really classic, iconic songs for this first episode of the show, but it's 2020 and I also wanted to make sure that I didn't only pick songs that came out before 1995, so for the next song, we're only going back to the year 2010. but. We're listening to what I consider to be one of the best songs of the last decade and one that I have no doubt will stand the test of time for years and years to come. LCD Sound System released This Is Happening as a farewell album in an uncommon move where the group chose to disband at the height of their career rather than break up as a result of the inevitable infighting that kills so many great bands. As it turns out, during the hiatus, frontman James Murphy decided he had more to say, and they did regroup in 2016, but a reunion was not on the table when they broke up, and getting the band back together was a challenging decision. This is Happening is a genuine sentiment in which the band says goodbye. LCD sound system didn't break up over nothing. The difficulties of touring were weighing heavy on the group's shoulders, and the then 41-year-old Murphy was often sick due to the physical stress of the lifestyle. Maybe that is why the opening track of the record sounds like a celebration of sweet relief. The song clocks in at just under nine minutes long, and it takes you on this awesome journey from quiet reservation to explosive electronic release and there and back and there and back again. It's called Dance Yourself Clean, and it's an absolute masterwork of a song. Go ahead and give it a listen, and feel free to jump around your room and let go of whatever is holding you down in life. Now... Earlier in the show, I talked about Exile in Guyville as a response to Exile on Main Street, but that's not the only music on this show that's, like, a rolling stone. (laughs) Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone is my next pick for a killer album opener, and it is one of the most, if not the most, critically acclaimed song of all time. The song marks Dylan's infamous shift from acoustic to electric, as well as his transition from talented folk artist to music legend. Like a Rolling Stone is the opening track of his 1965 album Highway 61 Revisited, and it came about while he was on tour supporting his album Subterranean Homesick Blues. During the last month of the tour, he started writing down what he refers to as basically word vomit, just putting down pages and pages of his frustrations with life into writing. He wound up with a massive amount of lyrics that he eventually condensed into one four-verse storyline. The song tells the story of a girl who lived a sheltered life and didn't realize that eventually her actions would have consequences. Instead of wearing the finest clothes and going to the finest schools, she has to scrounge for her next meal and pawn her diamond ring. The song isn't a reflection of Dylan's own life, though it is allegedly the story of somebody he knew, but when he asks you how does it feel, you know that he's using this character to express his own vulnerability. Like a Rolling Stone was a big gamble for Bob Dylan. It was a challenge to get radio stations to play it because it's a little over six minutes long, which is an insane amount of time for radio play. It also represented a major shift in sound. After it came out, Dylan started giving his first live performances using electric guitars instead of putting on his traditional folk act, which got massive backlash from purist fans. However, Despite the initial negative reactions to his new sound, the raw emotional energy and directness of Dylan's poetic lyricism have carried this classic song throughout the years since its release in 1965, and now it's revered as one of the best songs ever written. I honestly would struggle to disagree with this take, and if you don't already know what I mean, you should go listen to what Bob Dylan even describes as his own best song like a rolling stone. I've shared a lot of amazing songs this episode, but for my final selection, I saved what I think is the best for last. All it takes is the first four drum hits of this song to know that you are about to get blasted in the face by dreamily distorted musical experience. In my opinion, No opening track kicks off an album with maximum force and sonic excellence quite like Only Shallow by My Bloody Valentine. This track is the first off of the band's second full-length studio album Loveless, which is one of the most essential albums to the genre of music known as shoegaze. My Bloody Valentine had released a few projects prior to Loveless, which overall were quite well received, but frontman Kevin Shields was quite the perfectionist, and he was determined to manipulate their next album into something truly special. He definitely succeeded in his effort, but this came at a cost. Shields had the band change studios not once, not twice but 19 times during the recording process. Creation Records anticipated the band needing a little under a week to record all the material for the album, and instead, the band took nearly two whole years. The process allegedly bankrupt the record label, and they dropped MBV right after the album was released. I gotta say, though, sorry to Creation Records in 1991, but Loveless was worth it. Only Shallow, the opener of the album, hits you square between the ears with a fuzzy guitar explosion. And if you want to hear the most beautiful sounding vacuum cleaner noises that you have ever heard, go find a pair of good headphones, turn them all the way up, and treat yourself to the gift that is Only Shallow by My Bloody Valentine. So that's it for this one. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode of Theme Song. All of the songs i referenced in this episode are available in a playlist on my Spotify account. I am ella.garoots on Spotify, and the playlist will have the same name as the episode. Also, go check out the other cool podcasts from UC BearCast Media. They've always got some good stuff cooking up. Again, thank you all for listening, and I will see you next time on Theme Song.